Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Hello and welcome to the podcast, ufowarning.com. If you haven't been by the site, stop by and check it out, ufowarning.com. Today I'd like to talk a little bit about Shag Harbor. This was a UFO incident that took place back on October 4th, 1967, around Shag Harbor Bay up in uh, Nova Scotia, Canada. If you go to a map and look on the map and find Portland, Maine, and then just go pretty much due west, excuse me, due east, about 250 miles or so, there'll be Shag Harbor right there uh, as it borders the Atlantic Ocean. Shag Harbor apparently has a fairly shallow uh, shelf of uh, sea water out there, not real deep. And that's part of what makes this case so interesting. Now, you might look back to 1967, and if you listen to one of my earlier podcasts about uh, Larson Lake, I believe, uh, there was a UFO incident back in, I think it was June of that year, where the fellow who was out uh, prospecting for rocks in uh, central Canada had come across a UFO and tried to approach it. The UFO blasted off and left him with some pretty nasty burn marks on his abdomen area. And I talked about that in an earlier podcast. You can go back and look at that. There had also been uh, sightings of a UFO in western Canada uh, where a UFO or maybe two UFOs had crash landed into a big lake up there. that's another one that we'll look at later on. So there had been a series of UFO sightings. And even with this one here, it's it's documented. So, like I said, it happened at Chag Harbor, uh, Nova Scotia, up in Canada. And on not far from where that happened, an interesting side note was a, a NORAD uh, radar installation that's still there. And uh, there's also uh, documentation about how the, the U.S. has uh, under water grid have uh, uh, magnetic, um, I guess you could say magnetic uh, receptors to be able to detect any kind of submarine traffic that might be coming uh, or going in and out of that area is a uh, protection, of course, against the Soviets or whoever. So this was uh, during the Cold War, so there was a lot of military uh, vigilance going on as far as what was coming into our waters, what was coming into our skies. And that that made things even more documented. So with this particular case, what it starts off at about 719, I believe, was the first radio call from an Air Canada pilot. And him and his co-pilot witnessed a uh, unidentified flying object, a rectangular um, object that they described it, with a trail of lights behind it. And they described the... uh, aircraft is maybe being distressed because it was seemed like to them it was going slow it was flying parallel with the jet so they're watching this thing and then they describe uh, a silent explosion taking place so apparently they didn't hear anything but they did see some sort of uh, fire blast or something that they knew that the object was in distress uh, they reported this to the uh, um, the local air traffic control 
Uh, also on the ground, there were people that had uh, spotted this uh, UFO, uh, even though um, it took a while apparently for, for the UFO to crash before after after it had become disabled because we have reports around nine ten o'clock at night of a uh, of a family sitting out on the porch watching the lights overhead seeing the seeing the uh, object seem, seemingly slow down as it dove into the uh, shag harbor and we also have uh, reports from a fishing vessel that was out in shag harbor uh, i believe it was around 10 o'clock so that would have been a good two and a half three hours later that they actually saw um, the UFO flying overhead and watched it uh, descend into Shag Harbor. Now, on first look, this thing almost seems like possibly a mothership that's having mechanical problems when, and you've got uh, the attendant planes or attendant UFOs with it. But then we also have a lot of cases of, uh, where there, excuse me, a lot of um, witness accounts that two objects went into uh, the water. Uh, at any rate, there were multiple reports into the local radio station, and there were police reports filed, and uh, it was serious enough that the Royal Mounted Police uh, got together a search party and went out into Shag Harbor to look for this downed UFO. At the time, everybody just assumed that it was a downed aircraft, so people were, um, you know, understandably upset, and they were concerned and worried. And as a force of habit up there, the local fishermen, whenever there is a maritime uh, disaster or a maritime situation like that, they'll get together in their fishing boats and they'll rush out into the bay to try to uh, lend assistance. And that's what they did this time. And we end up with <clears throat> a lot of uh, very similar accounts of what happened next. The fishing boats got out into the harbor <clears throat> and the multiple fishermen report seeing uh, heavy, thick, yellow foam that smelled like sulfur. And this is really something that makes a person think a little bit because so many times with these UFO uh, sightings, the smell of sulfur is reported. And strangely enough, even with a lot of the Bigfoot sightings, the smell of sulfur is reported. And, you know, you don't have to go back too far in history to really uh, associate the, the smell of sulfur with something uh, evil, actually. But that aside, uh, the fishermen went out into the bay. They looked everywhere. They couldn't find anything. And eventually this heavy, uh, yellow, uh, sulfuric-smelling foam that just seemed to be have been left in a trail um, dissipated. The Royal Mounted Police, though, were not satisfied. Uh, they called uh, their local air traffic control. They got a hold of NORAD, everybody. And there was no military planes missing. There were no civilian flights uh, that were that had fought a flight plan were missing, and there were no commercial flights. So they ruled out the possibility that it could be an airplane, but just in case, because so many people had seen it, uh, the Canadian uh, military sent a dive team out, and they came out to Shag Harbor, and the water there shallow enough that they were able to go down and dive on it, and they did that for two and a half days. Now, there are reports that the divers had brought up at least one uh, object, a metallic, a jagged-looking object, I don't know, from the description, maybe twice the size of a shoebox. Um, when the locals inquired about it, they were told that it was simply something that the dive team had used to uh, mark their location, like an underwater buoy or something. But a lot of people thought that was strange, because why would you use a jagged piece of metal to... As, you know, as a weight for your boy marker, why wouldn't you just have a, a pre-made weight if you're going to do that? 
But all, all things considered, they claim they didn't find anything. They just said nothing happened that we can tell. There's no physical evidence. Now, they didn't deny the sighting. They just said they didn't find anything. And this brings us into uh, phase two of the Shag Harbor incident. And there are reports that the objects had actually moved, um, I believe it's probably about 30 miles around to an area called Government Bay. And that's in Nova Scotia. And Government Bay is a place where they had this, uh, at the time, top secret uh, submarine uh, warning base set up. Uh, the U.S. Canada did. I guess it's closed today. But it was a really important place at the time. You know, keep in mind that we're in the, we're in the, the missile crisis has just gone by. It's a Cold War. And you've got uh, Soviet missile-carrying uh, subs and American subs running around. And the Americans want to know if there's somebody... In those waters. So, like I said before, they had this uh, network of uh, magnetic cables they described them set up so they could tell if a Russian sub had come into the area or not. Well, the story goes that these two ships, these two UFOs rather, had made their way around the bay and had stopped in Government Bay, and that while the dive team was diving for two and a half days in Shag Harbor Bay, a second government dive team was diving for over a week in Government Bay, and that this dive team uh, reportedly saw things that were a lot more interesting. And I linked to a really good documentary. Um, Stanton Freeman's in it. It's one of the best UFO researchers ever, I think. You can go to the website and check it out. It's on YouTube. It was made back in 2015, and they do. It's a really super well done documentary. Uh, with a lot of in-depth research. And they supposedly interviewed a diver off the record who said he couldn't say too much, but he more or less told them that there were uh, two UFOs uh, underwater at Government Bay, and it appeared as though one was rendering aid to the other, and that there were beings on the outside of the disabled ship uh, working on it. And when they asked him to describe you know, the beings that he saw, he more or less just said they weren't from this world, and he didn't want to go into it. And <clears throat> I guess I could understand that a little bit if this person, perhaps this person saw something, you know, you have to think it's going to be pretty disturbing. You, you're Even if you're a, a seasoned military guy, you're down there in the water and you see a couple UFOs, and you literally have aliens working on one of the ships trying to get started again. Um, from the sounds of it, they, the uh, military divers... Uh, they say they took pictures, they observed, but they didn't interfere, which is kind of what I would expect in this situation. But you also have to ask yourself, why on earth would these two ships make it a point to go around next to this top secret uh, military base unless they knew it was a military base and maybe there had already been some kind of contact between these alien ships and the people that rent those bases. And that's why they felt safe to be there. And, you know, it almost, on the surface, it looks like one of two things. These ships just don't care about what we can do to them. But that seems a little bit overconfident because if one of the ships was disabled, you know, they would have a reason to be concerned. I mean, they're, they're here on planet Earth. Um, Earthlings are known to be quite violent, and we do have things like, you know, very large bombs. So it almost seems as if they went to the one place where they felt really safe. And that was a top secret government base. 
And it was almost as if, you know, from when I look at it, it's almost as if these UFO craft uh, have got some kind of maybe predetermined deal worked out where um, they're allowed to stop at these bases in emergency situations and we're allowed to photograph them or look at them as long as we don't interfere with them. But uh, there's also a lot of uh, really interesting correspondence that happened between uh, the Royal Mounted Canadian Police and some of the U.S. Uh, counterparts and some of the Canadian military. And the documentary that I have listed on UFOWarning.com goes into that and shows some examples. Uh, quite a bit of the, of the government documentation of this uh, UFO site has been documented and now released to the public, which the, the seems like the Canadians handled this quite a bit differently than, say, the Americans did with Roswell. They didn't come in and try to debunk everything. They took a little bit more, I think, mature approach and just said, well, something happened and we can't explain it. Now, that's not to say they didn't conceal things. I think they probably did conceal things because they felt like they had to, and maybe they did have to. But at least they didn't feel the need to go out and destroy the reputation of people who had seen this phenomenon occur. They just simply said, well, you saw what you saw, and we've made a good faith effort to help you discover what it was, and we can't figure it out either. Now, maybe they did figure it out, but I'd at least give them credit for uh, not psychologically damaging the people that saw this, this uh, set of events. Um, overall, it's a really interesting case. There's been a lot of research done on it. It just happened just about 51 years ago. I did see where a couple of Jacques Cousteau's grandkids uh, had dove on Shag Harbor. I didn't see where they found anything, and actually I wouldn't expect them to, given you know what, what's been said about um, how things went down there. But overall, I thought it was one of the most well-documented cases I, I came across. There's lots and lots of uh, eyewitnesses that have come forward. You know, we had the pilots, we had air traffic control, we had uh, multiple citizens just outside watching. We had fishing vessels, uh, at least one vessel in the water as the UFO crashed. And then we have the divers of what's said and what's not said. And uh, we've had some good documentaries on it. So if you're a UFO enthusiast and you're looking for a fun case to investigate, uh, Shag Harbor is a good place to start. It's uh, a lot of good evidence and, and a lot of well-preserved evidence and a lot of fun to take a look at. Well, that's it for today. Over and out, UFOWarning.com.